Welcome to episode 340 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have regular contributor, comedian, and comedic writer Nash Rose with her segment Nash in New York. And we talk with Nash about voting, a revolution in politics in the U.S., how our democracy is truly amazing, Scandinavia, Canada, white privilege, the Black Little Mermaid, Jack Benny, how we avoid our U.S. history. Black people need to always be forgiving, it seems. Black Lives Matter, how racism has evolved and how it's delivered. Columbus Day versus Indigenous People Day, among other issues of interest. A great conversation with Nash Rose on the program. We have an EWSA titled Privilege, and we have a nice excerpt from Howard Zinn's masterpiece, A People's History of the United States, 1492 to the Present, and a poem called Glam. All of this, of course, as is always the case, is imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 340 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. And it shows them pearly white Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe And it keeps it uh, out of sight You know when that shark bites With his teeth, babe Scarlet billows start to spread Fancy gloves, though, where's old Maggie Heath, babe? So there's never, never a trace of red. Now on the sidewalk, uh -huh, ooh, Sunday morning, uh -huh, lies a body just oozing life. And someone sneaking round the corner. Could that someone be Mac the Knife? There's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know? Where a cement bag just drooping on down. Oh, that cement is just, it's there for the way to dare. Five will get you ten old Mackies back in town. Can't you hear about Louis Miller? He disappeared, babe After drawing out all his hard-earned cash And now Maggie Heath spins just like a shell Could it be our boy's done something rash? Now, Jimmy the Diver 
Privilege. The beautiful life. What does that mean to you? Is it about love? Is it about money? Is it about status? Is it about acceptance or tolerance? Is it about the sun shining on your chilly bones? Is it about the person of your dreams inviting you home? How to gauge your sense of self? What motivates the perplexed state of your daily affairs? Time? Fear? Rewards? How do we know, Nietzsche? How do we know, Sojourner Truth, Crazy Horse, Chief Seattle, Maya Angelou, Mandela, Gandhi, Dr. King, Pocahontas, Charlie at the neighborhood newsstand bodega, tell me, share with me some more wisdom, Quest Love and Killer Mike, Sade and Erica Badu, Gloria Steinem and Patti Smith, Jane Jacobs, and all you nouveau post-apocalypse new millennial hip. Tell me how to get a solid grip on this journey of humanity I was born into. Where can a fortunate man who has the privilege to try and understand go from here to there? not knowing where he truly is or the place he, she, they, should, might, could be going. I suppose one might get Buddha at this point, be in the moment, perhaps with some good folk connect and pass a joint. Sometimes I get so worried I don't know what to do But all the things I worry about Very few of them come true And when they do I call on you Every time I get crowded Sometimes I just can't breathe I try not to think about it When I feel it coming over me I know exactly what I need Ain't no doubt about it I'll always be your friend Oh 
Rose, is that you? It is. This is E.W. Conundrum from Troubadours and Rock on Tours. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I am good. It's good to have you on the show again. Yes, yes. Good to be back. I lost a complete track of time in the day. That happens. That happens to me, too. Uh, so <laughs> it's been a while. Um so much as it's like ten months or something, I think, since the last time we spoke on the show. Uh, oh, I thought it was more. Yeah, it sounds like forever. It does. I know a lot has been going on for you personally and just in the world in general. What's on your mind? Um, not I. Not well. I I was just in the middle of writing um a, a script, so I got to pull my brain out of that. That's what's actually on my mind. Right now, which is why I lost track of time. But um, yeah, life life is life is great. A lot has happened. A lot of things going to happen. And um, there's a cat crying in the background. Oh, nice effect. <laughs> yeah. How have you been? What's 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 new with you? Oh, you know, just trying to figure it all out. Been busy with a lot of different projects, and uh, you know. Um, with this project in particular, Troubadours and Rock on Tours, a lot of stations have picked it up, and you know, largely because we have a nice set of uh, guests uh, to to offer up. So, you know, lately though, I've been trying to figure out what's going on with presidential, uh, you know, nominees, and trying to figure out what's going on with the the weirdo in the office at present as well. I don't know. Any of that stuff interest you? Oh, man, politics. I have not been keeping up with politics at all. I think the most that I've been keeping up with it is 
um, I just watched a, a sketch about it on Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live. And it was pretty funny, but I have no idea how accurate or inaccurate it is because I've just not been keeping up with it like I probably should have. Wait, have you lost interest? Uh, yeah, I, I, I've lost interest um, in the combination where I've been just focusing on other things, and I find it all kind of depressing, honestly. So usually when I find something depressing, I just, tune it out altogether and just wait until it's action time and then then like binge research <laughs> yeah. from there. Yeah, I, I get that. But you, you are going to vote when the time comes. Yes, of course. Yes, definitely. Yeah. It's the only method that we have to contribute to anything, right? Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, and you could even question whether... And if you're cynical enough, whether that matters. But I, I, I do agree that, it, it, I mean, what else do you have? Uh, you could you could go the revolution route, right, and storm the walls. But <laughs> I don't know if I'm up to the, up for that. <laughs> yeah. I, I know I'm not. I, I just don't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> no. We're spoiled and lazy in this country. We don't do stuff like that, you know. <laughs> we have a... Uh, a very first world privilege in that we can decide if we want to do a revolution or not. Dependent yeah. Upon, gosh, I feel so spoiled saying <laughs> But it's true. Um, yeah, I mean, a revolution, and even, even starting revolution, I mean, all right, there, revolutions definitely have a purpose, and there are a lot of things that if I had really the time to be involved in, I would be involved in more. But at the same time, with everything that's going awry and, and just crazy in this country, it just doesn't compare to what people are actually going through in other parts of the world. There are some devastating circumstances, and I think that also plays into my disinterest in some of the politics that happened in this country, because this is this this democracy that we live in is just, it's amazing compared to a lot of other places in the world, and I think I think a lot of times we take that for granted and focus on essentially smaller things. But I guess we have to focus on those smaller things to stay number one in the world. I guess. I guess uh, number could, world or top five. I don't know where we land. Yeah, I, I you know a lot of people might say this, the Scandinavian countries they're a little happier, right, uh, than we are, and several others perhaps too. Yeah. But when it comes to access to a lot of important a aspects of you know, human existence. I guess we, you know, we have pretty decent institutions. And Scandinavia, though, I do think Scandinavia kicks our butts in many regards, um, though the weather might be a little chilly. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe Canada, too. Canada, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you been up there? Yeah. I was up there twice this summer, Montreal and Toronto. Yeah, beautiful cities. They are. It was my first time going to Toronto. I had no idea how much of a city it was. It felt like I was still in New York. It was like a hybrid of New York and Washington, D.C. That's pretty cool. Description. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really looks like it. And, you know, when, when you talk about, back to the U.S. here, uh, there there is a lot of, there are a lot of social issues. Uh, you know, you're, 
most people who have listened to the show have heard you in the past, but those who have not, Nash is a, a comedian and a comedic writer living in New York City. And oftentimes your your material does not delve directly into politics. You don't like going that route. You You make more, I guess... Uh, observational humor, is that what you would call it, or is it anecdotal more so? More so anecdotal with a few observations in there. But, yeah, no, I don't I don't um, discuss politics very much at all, actually. Cause, but how about social issues? Social issues, kind of. Um, I My material now... I have a little bit of experimentation with social issues and kind of pointing out, um, um, how would I call it? I guess pointing out white privilege, which is always fun on stage. And also just, I don't know what to call this, um, I guess prejudice, just kind of like um, subliminal racism that still exists. I kind of play around with that and, uh, gentrification is always easy to delve into because New York City, but I think that's probably as social as I get. It's not. It's not too deep. Like I, I address like the the weird um, <laughs> outcry over the Black Little Mermaid and and just ridiculousness things like that. So you think that's but not too much because I, I I like to focus on um my personal experiences more. So I'll, if I if I do do something that's more political or social or whatever, it will be from the perspective of a personal experience. As an African-American woman who's in her 30s. Yeah. Hetero, um, heterosexual yeah. African-American woman who's in her 30s. Yes, it's, it's like 2019. You have to like clarify all that. Yes. Yeah, I didn't get into <laughs> as your myself, religion. Well, just, as, just as a person, you know, and um, who's who is a black woman in her 30s or late 20s, depending on where you catch me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I know your mother. I know your real age. You know. <laughs> but you know, you could you could pass for in your 20s, no doubt. <laughs> Maybe like 29. <laughs> yeah. It's like that. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Jack Benny reference, how he stopped at 39. Uh, he, he always, whenever, after a certain point, if you ever asked him his age, uh, he was 39. I don't even know if, I mean, you're a comedian, so you probably heard of Jack Benny, but he's one of the old school guys from the middle 20th century. Uh, 39. That's it. He never went past that. He, he was like 60-some. You asked him how old he was. Always oh, 39. <laughs> Um, I'm always 39. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I think I'll stop if I when I get to my mid 30s. I think I'll stop there. Yeah, it's a good place. That's a good place. Um, so you, you know, there there are so much going on in New York City. You're kind of cocooned to a certain extent, you know, as compared to you could be cocooned if you want, because it's it's so much more uh, cosmopolitan. So much more uh, progressive, uh, and a lot. I, I suppose, uh, you know, I, I've been there many times. I don't live there day to day. That you don't have to deal with as much of um, the social issues that would be prevalent in, in more mainstream America. Is that? Do you think that's a safe assessment? I 
think so. That sounds like a fair assessment, yeah. Do you still come across, though, when you're there, you know, uh, uh, racist tendencies or, you know, white privilege is everywhere. I mean, that's systemic. Um, like the Black Mermaid, you bring that up. You think that's silly, I think, when people start talking about the Black Mermaid, or you don't. You think that's really an issue that needs to be focused on. And I guess the backstory, too, the backstory is uh, there was a mermaid that was, I don't know if it's Disney, I, I'm assuming it's Disney. Uh, yeah, Disney, The Little Mermaid. And they they decided... The, go ahead. Well, historically, The Little Mermaid is like an iconic Disney story, and it's always been a white... I, I, let's just, I'm just going to use people terms because she's a mermaid, and it's not real, so none of it really makes sense, but she's a white woman who's a mermaid who has red hair, and that's the iconic story, the iconic character, the iconic look. That's what Halloween costumes have been forever. It's been that since I was a child and growing up to present day. And over the summer, they're doing, they announced that they're doing a live action movie and that they've casted a black woman to play Ariel, the Little Mermaid. And to say, I mean, I feel like at least some social media civil war almost broke out again over this announcement. And, um, I obviously, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's a little ridiculous on both sides. Um, I think it's ridiculous on Disney to do that because it's just like one. Well, I I got into a couple of debates on Facebook, which I don't do often, but I just thought the topic was so ridiculous. I just think that um, nobody really asked for a black mermaid. What we've been asking for are different princesses of different races, specifically black races in regards to the black culture, not to kind of do like a hand-me-down version of, here you go, we're just going to take an old princess and we're going to make her black this time. There you go, be happy. So ridiculous in that sense. And then on the other side, it's like people who are crying and ending friendships because their childhood fantasy is no longer white and redheaded and she's black and it's it's so unrealistic when it's just the whole thing is unrealistic it's about a mermaid (laughs) so i just i just thought it was funny it gave me a lot of material to um talk about on stage and then i do have a joke where i dive into comparison because it's like that happened a couple weeks after, maybe a month, I'm not sure exactly, but within the same summer before they had this big event. I don't know if you heard of it. It's called Storm Area 51, where yes. over 2 million people signed up to see aliens. And it's like, how, how do you possibly feel like you're ready to embrace and see and accept aliens from outer space and, and, and we like can't digest a cartoon character changing pigment? <laughs> it makes no sense, but that's yeah. <laughs> that's the state of America, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that's an interesting take. So you're saying there's all these folks that want to uh, see and want to accept the reality of aliens uh, from another planet, but they, those same people may have an issue with a black Little Mermaid, and that's exactly yeah. Yeah, you know, that's uh, you know, I, I, that's really interesting. I'm, is it, is it that people just don't want to deal with the history of our country? You know, they don't want to deal with the ramifications and the 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 manifestations of 
the sordid history we have as it is connected to uh, race and ethnicity and religion and you know you know I, I, so aliens they're you know they're from another planet we we have no con- that's exciting maybe or weirdly you know <laughs> enchanting in a creepy way for some folks who like that kind of stuff but to deal with our sordid complicated history I rather not <laughs> you know that, I wonder if that's part of it yeah it sounds like. <laughs> It almost sounds like a really bad marriage, and you get excited by an escort, and it's more exciting now. You have to deal with the history of your you get wife. Excited, you get excited <laughs> about what? I missed that. It's like the way you described that made me think of like a, a person who's in an unhappy marriage who is now excited about an escort because they don't want to deal with what they're used to and the history of what they have going on and work through that. Let's go to something more new and exciting. Right. But it's just, it, it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense. I never thought of it that way. But the overall concept, I think that, you know, I think ignorance is bliss really plays into it because it, it all seems, it all seems, you know, I, I wonder, I kind of wonder if like, sometimes I wonder if like white people are really assumed, the ones who are really into the alien aspect of Area 51, if they're assuming that these aliens are just going to be other white people. Like, do they, are they actually prepare to accept whatever is behind those doors when they can't handle like it's just the concept to me it's like the concept and and it's not just the black mermaid it's also there are over two million people i'm willing to bet there are some of those people in there who are against alien immigrants and it's just like the concept of being narrow-minded but thinking that you're open-minded enough to accept Outer space beings, it just blows my mind. I, uh, yeah, and I don't know that they're all willing to accept. I don't know. I don't really troll that world, and I have to use the word troll because it seems weird to me. I guess I'm being judgmental. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, I don't know if, if some folks, are. It, it, they just want to prove that the conspiracy is real. You know, they want to they might not want aliens, but they believe the government has kept it a secret for decades. And that now they want to finally reveal that indeed there is a secret that the government is keeping from them. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. It's like curiosity that kills the cat. Cause then they find out the truth. And then we have all these new issues to march in Washington for. Yeah, no aliens here. No, we won't let them build the wall or whatever. I don't know. Uh, Send them back, or whatever. Send the, well, you know, from all the movies that I've watched, we're talking total fiction now, right? Although the aliens are always superior to us anyway. They, you know, our, they can't. Mm-hmm. Our guns can never do anything against them. They have these advanced weapons, and and you know, they could become invisible and take the form of our. Uh, our bodies we're we're done it seems to me if aliens are do exist <laughs> that's not something i'm going to sign up to see i just just being a realist about it I'd, I'd be a little worried based on movies like you just said yeah but oh uh, that's 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 really how i try to incorporate um minor social issues or just i like to call it um, pop culture social issues <laughs> and just try to make people think a little bit outside the box. Just my own thoughts. Well, how, how do you get... How, just, go ahead, just, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
I just I just have to tune out a lot of it um, because it gets overwhelming. It being, I don't really like to say it, this, but it's you know as a black woman, it is a, when a lot of it is directed at you and your culture. It's like it's easier sometimes to focus on something else and not even get involved because it just touches you so deeply on a spiritual and emotional level that it can consume you and just make everything seem negative. I have so many conversations with my mother where we'll start talking about these headlines and she's like, you know what? I can't talk about this right now. I finally got into a positive space and I want to accomplish some things on my to-do list. And I was like, you know what? I get it. Cause one, one bad headline really can ruin your day yeah i can only imagine i mean i can only imagine because i i get upset with probably a lot of the same headlines you do i get upset about and your mother gets upset about i know because you and your mother you and your mother and i have had many conversations about social justice and injustice but it doesn't affect me as directly because i'm a white guy so I yeah I I could probably it probably won't devastate me as much when I hear about somebody who um, looks like me and has experienced the same history directly you know almost exactly as me so yeah and that's white privilege right there we talked about white privilege before um, it, you, you you're making me think about and I don't want to bring it up because I don't want to depress you but that that you know middle aged woman who was killed playing video games with her nephew recently. Right, by the police officer who just, without even warning, that he was a cop, shot her through a window. It's insane, and you know, and and I, 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 I hear that, and I, I just, I stop thinking about it because it's just insane. But if I'm then seeing my own neighborhood where that's happening, and my own family uh, where that's happening, uh, it, that would make I, you can't let it go so easily, I suppose. No, it it kind of it sticks with you for sure. And um, the latest one what that made me kind of tune out was uh, the woman. I don't care to know her name, but the 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 police officer who was just convicted for for killing, murdering a man when she walked into the wrong apartment. Yep. And um, when she was convicted, the judge and the bailiff and the victim's brother hugged her. Yep. That was just like, like I just had to turn off media and just go like meditate. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done with the world. This none of this makes sense. I'm done. Because I get you. I, I understand. But I want to, I want you to voice why it bothered you so much. I I think I understand, but why for people who don't? Why why did that bother you so much? I, it's disturbing because. Oh, so many different levels of why it bothers. Um, just so many different levels. But the main thing is she murdered someone. And not only did she murder someone, she's a trained professional that's supposed to be protecting people, that's supposed to be alert and aware. And even more on her 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 proper guard, cues and peas, whatever you want to call it, and she makes this mistake, quote unquote, whatever, murders a person, makes endless excuses, gets 10 years, like his life is valuable for 10 years, 
And with eligibility for parole after five, which means she'll probably get out in five, maybe two for good behavior because she's a cop. And she does this crime where she ended someone's life and she gets a hug when there are black men in jail for things they didn't do doing life sentences. It just doesn't make any sense. I've never seen that compassion the other way around. I've never seen that compassion for criminals, period, beyond race. And it just seems like such a systematic thing inside of black people where we we feel like we have to do those things. We have to be so outwardly forgiving for everything. And forgiving doesn't always mean giving a hug. Sometimes it's as simple as not letting the anger or the mistakes of other people consume you. It doesn't always mean you have to make that person who stole someone from your life feel comforted and nurtured and and loved and stroking her hair. It's like if somebody took one of my brothers from me, the last thing I'm going to do is hug them. And if I decide to forgive them, that's going to be between me and God. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it is about God. I think that's where it comes from. Uh, from my understanding, you know, uh, the the black community in this country, in large part, is very spiritual, and and forgiveness is a message that I think is tantamount to the that culture and, and the church. So I I believe it's besides it being a coping mechanism, because you know you can't just stay bitter and hateful; you'll die inside that way. It also is probably in the minds of folks who are forgiving, the way of God. You know, and I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just trying to understand it. Um, I'm not a very, uh, I'm not a religious person, so I don't. Uh, I mean, I'm spiritual, but I, I don't go to church and, and hear these messages and, and then try to, you know, live like that based on a culture that I'm that nurtures me once a week. But uh, that's 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 my take on why it occurs so often in the black community. It's a big part of the culture, and it's also probably a coping mechanism, because there's so much terrible stuff that uh, folks in the in, in um, our community, our, our country, that is predominantly people of color, have to deal with negative stuff. How could you not find a positive way to look at it? Uh, you know, there's so much n- terrible crap to process you have to find a positive way to process it other otherwise well and that, that to me is not to oversimplify things that's where a lot of the social problems come in in areas where people are treated poorly like high levels of drug use and crime and, and the like it's it's a manifestation of discontent of injustice as well as you know centuries of of uh, discombobulated, uh, unintentional discombobulation of social structure. I don't know. I, the more I talk, the more I realize I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, Forgiveness is an awesome thing, I'm sure. And coping is, you, people got to cope how they have to cope. But I, I just, regardless of whatever Christian black people use forgiveness for, Hugging the person who murdered someone that you love is just it 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 does not fit well. It doesn't make sense with me. And a lot of people, 
I don't know what that was. I've never seen or heard of anything like that. At all. That's just mind but I've never heard of that. And again, it was the judge, right? It was uh, the brother of, of uh, the victim. Uh, and uh, The a bailiff. judge, the brother, and the bailiff. Yeah. And the Three judge. black people. Right, and right. It's, it's just, I don't know. It, it's just, I've tried. I've tried talking about it with my fiancé, with my mother, my siblings, friends. And none of us can make sense of it. It's just, it, it's one of those things that's so mind-boggling. you just like, you know what, whatever, I'm done. I'm done. Not not going there. Can't figure it out. Let it go. It sounds like great fodder for your for your interaction with with uh, uh, people who come to see you when you're on stage through humor. <laughs> Try to figure it out. Try to connect through. Most of your audiences are probably white, I'd imagine. Right? Right? Or no? It's a it's a decent mixture. Um, but I think it is usually predominantly white. I, I did I did put together a joke about it. Um, that works on stage and it, it just plays off of the black lives. I, I, I think that this whole thing is like, um, good publicity for black lives matter because the slogan is no justice, no peace. And a lot of times white people don't like that slogan because it sounds like we mean no justice, then there'll be war. But in reality, we mean no justice, then no hugs. And clearly now that we have this, out in the open, maybe we'll get a lot more people on board with Black Lives Matter and that slogan, because that's clearly all we want. We want justice so that we can give out some hugs and forgiveness at the end of it. So dumb. Yeah, yeah. And it's been going on forever. You know, do you think it's getting any better as a citizen of the United States for for uh, folks that, uh, you know, just recently, it was Columbus Day, right? And I, I was looking at Facebook arguments about uh, whether it's Indigenous People Day or Columbus Day. And, you know, there are people that are Italian-American uh, who were very offended. And then other white people, too, at the idea that it should be supplanted by Indigenous People Day. And, and then, you know, you hear the arguments from folks <laughs> who are more sensitive and are from the community of of uh, you know the people that were here before European contact, and it was interesting to me. Do you, you know, do you think it's gotten any better as a as a, a, a person from uh, the a community that is not of European ancestry? Uh, do you think the stead of people who are in the minority uh, of of our and I hate the term minority, but it's, I can't think of a better one. Smaller numbers, I mean, you know smaller representation in terms of just gross numbers of in, uh, individuals in this country. You think it's gotten better over the last several decades or has it stayed the same or is it worse? Um, I really think it depends on the lens you put on, but um, on a superficial level, it's gotten better, I'd say, in the outside layers. Um, yeah, I mean, it's gotten better in, in ways and it stayed the same in other ways and it's, it's, um, evolved. Some racism just didn't go away. It just evolved with the times of how it's now delivered. And that's, I really, it, I really, I'm just going to stick with it. It really depends on the lens you're looking at because 
<laughs> you got to look at you got to look at this country through rose-colored spectacles. And I didn't even know there was an argument about Indigenous People Day versus Columbus Day or whatever. I have just my own crazy beliefs about the Indigenous people of this country, regardless. So it's it's hard to get attached because history is just all messed up, and there's so many lies, and it's just. Everyone should. Everyone's always gonna have a problem. They're always gonna have a problem. <laughs> this is me. I'm getting to that. Ugh. You can't. You can't. You can't solve it. Everyone's always gonna have a problem. Yeah. 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 Well, I. We'll. We'll leave it at that. We'll. We'll. We'll leave it totally confused. Our. Our. Our time is up this time, Nash. <laughs> this. This go round. Talking to Nash Rose. Nash in New York is the segment. A comedic writer. A comedian. A really. Uh, a really insightful person. I love having you on the program, and I hope uh, we get a chance to talk again sometime soon. Yeah, working on some scripts for Comedy Central. Can't wait to announce the project. It'll be fun. Oh. And, um, yeah, maybe next time we talk, um, we can talk about um, white male culture, culture canceling. <laughs> okay, white male culture canceling. Next time, folks, with Nash in New York. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you, you, I want to develop this segment, Nash. You're an important insight for this show. So I know you're busy, but try to, try to, you know, keep it in mind. We'll do it, you know, every, every few months. That's all. That's all I'm asking. I want, I want yeah. you to be my, I want you I to be, have fun. I know, me too. Me too. I want you to be my killer mic. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> That's funny. The killer <laughs> mic is uh, very good at what he does. <laughs> I love him. I think he's fantastic. Well, I look, <laughs> I look forward to hearing what's going on with Comedy Central. And again, thank you for taking time out, Nash. I appreciate it. No problem. Have a good one. You too. Bye. All right. Bye.
an excerpt from Howard Zinn's masterwork, A People's History of the United States, 1492 to the Present. Columbus, the Indians, and Human Progress. Arawak men and women, naked, tawny, and full of wonder, emerged from their villages onto the island's beaches and swam out to get a closer look at the strange big boat. When Columbus and his sailors came ashore, carrying swords, speaking oddly, the Arawaks ran to greet them, brought them food, water, gifts. He later wrote of this in his log. They brought us parrots and balls of cotton and spears and many other things, which they exchanged for the glass beads and hawks' bells. They willingly traded everything they owned. They were well-built with good bodies and handsome features. They do not bear arms and do not know them, for I showed them a sword. They took it by the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. They have no iron. Their spears are made of cane. They would make fine servants. With 50 men, we could subjugate them all and make them do whatever we want. These Arawaks of the Bahama Islands were much like Indians on the mainland, who were remarkable. European observers were to say again and again, for their hospitality, their belief in sharing. These traits did not stand out in the Europe of the Renaissance, dominated as it was by the religion of popes, the government of kings, the frenzy for money that marked Western civilization, and its first messenger to the Americas, Christopher Columbus. Columbus wrote, As soon as I arrived in the Indies, on the first island which I found, I took some of the natives by force in order that they might learn and might give me information of whatever there is in these parts. The information that Columbus wanted most was, where is the gold? He had persuaded the king and queen of Spain to finance an expedition to the lands, the wealth, he expected, would be on the other side of the Atlantic, the Indies, and Asia, gold and spices. For, like other informed people of his time, he knew the world was round and he could sail west in order to get to the Far East. Spain was recently unified, one of the new modern nation-states like France, England, and Portugal. Its population, mostly poor peasants, worked for the nobility, who were 2% of the population and owned 95% of the land. Spain had tied itself to the Catholic Church, expelled all the Jews, driven out the Moors. Like other states of the modern world, Spain sought gold, which was becoming the new mark of wealth, more useful than land because it could buy anything. There was gold in Asia, it was thought, and certainly silks and spices, for Marco Polo and others had brought back marvelous things from their overland expeditions centuries before. Now that the Turks had conquered Constantinople and the eastern Mediterranean and controlled the land routes to Asia, a sea route was needed. Portuguese sailors were working their way around the southern tip of Africa, Spain decided to gamble on a long sail across an unknown ocean. In return for bringing back gold and spices, they promised Columbus 10% of the profits, governorship over newfound lands, and the fame that would go with a new title, Admiral of the Ocean Sea. He was a merchant's clerk from the Italian city of Genoa, part-time weaver, the son of a skilled weaver, 
and expert sailor. He set out with three sailing ships, the largest of which was the Santa Maria, perhaps 100 feet long and 39 crew members. Columbus would never have made it to Asia, which was thousands of miles farther away than he had calculated, imagining a smaller world. He would have been doomed by that great expanse of sea, but he was lucky. One-fourth of the way there he came upon an unknown, uncharted land that lay between Europe and Asia, the Americas. It was early October 1492, and 33 days since he and his crew had left the Canary Islands off the Atlantic coast of Africa. Now they saw branches and sticks floating in the water. They saw flocks of birds. These were signs of land. Then on October 12th, a sailor called Rodrigo saw the early morning moon shining on white sands and cried out, It was an island in the Bahamas, the Caribbean Sea. The first man to sight land was supposed to get a yearly pension of 10,000 mavrarites for life, but Rodrigo never got it. Columbus claimed he had seen a light the evening before. He got the reward. So approaching land, they were met by the Arawak Indians, who swam out to greet them. The Arawaks lived in village communes, had a developed agriculture of corn, yams, and cassava. They could spin and weave, but they had no horses or work animals. They had no iron, but they wore tiny gold ornaments in their ears. Give me your tired and your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. Ellis Island was swarming Like a scene from a costume ball Decked out in the colors of Europe And on fire with the hope of it all There my father's own father stood huddled With the tired and the hungry and scared Turn of the century pilgrims Bound by the dream that they shared They were standing in line just like camels Poked and sorted and shoved Some were one desk away from freedom some were torn from someone they loved Through the sprawling tower of a babel Came a young man, confused and alone Determined and bound for America And carrying all that he owned Sometimes when I look in my grandfather's immigrant eyes I saw that day reflected and couldn't hold my feelings inside I saw starting with nothing and working hard all of his life So don't take it for granted, said grandfather's immigrant eyes 
But his eyes were still just as clear As the day he sailed through the harbor And came ashore on that island of tears My grandfather's days were numbered But I won't let his memory die Cause he gave me the gift of this country And the look in his immigrant eyes Sometimes when I looked in my grandfather's immigrant eyes I saw that day reflected And couldn't hold my feelings inside You say privilege doesn't exist. You say it's just a matter of picking yourself up and grabbing onto those proverbial bootstraps. Ain't that ain't that a fact, Jack? Ain't that ain't that whack? Man oh man. Look at cousin Stan sitting on the tram. Eating a can of Spam. Wondering whatever happened to the glam.
And there you have it, episode 340 of Troubadours and Rakan Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our good friend and regular contributor, comedian and comedic writer, Nash Rose. I'd like to thank the great historian and writer, Howard Zinn. And these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Bobby Darren, Mavis Staples, Benny Sings, Willie Nelson, The Meters, and of course, Branford Marsalis and Terrence Blanchard, too. Thanks so much for listening and for being you. Until next week. Why don't we give it a go and try to enjoy this one?